Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Really is an awesome idea, this idea of beauty from ashes. I think sometimes that we think that um, that works for others, but maybe not for me. Maybe my mess is too big. Maybe my issues are, are, are too messy. And um, hopefully you've been smelling what I'm stepping in. That's an expression. You, hopefully you're, you're picking it up, this idea that, that, no, God's really good at what he does. He's really, really good at what he does. We sang that song tonight about how, like, we've seen him do it before. He's never failed this yet. Um, you guys don't get to know much about me or my story just because we only have a, a short time together. But Aaron hinted at this just a little bit. Like, my family is one of those families that have been through things that, I mean, like, whoa, um, like crazy things. Uh, and uh, God has seen us through them in such remarkable ways. If you wonder, you know, where my source of, of faith comes from, it's not because everything's been rosy and great. It's because we've been through some craziness, some real, real craziness. And somehow in the midst of the craziness, God met us and his glory was revealed in such a profound way. Um, my little daughter back here, Paigey, she's sitting in the back row. You can wave at him, Paige. I'm, she hates when I embarrass her. Um, that's Paigey. When, when Paigey was about 12 days old, um, she stopped breathing. And if you've ever wondered what it's like to have to do CPR on a child, a 12-day-old baby, I know. That'll test your mettle. Like, you know, you go through those classes and you're like, well, you, know, you never want to have to do that. And then your baby turns blue. You got to do it. You got to step up. And she's obviously fine. She made it. She's really good. I mean, you know. Uh, then two years ago, my family moved into a new home. All five of us, our dream house, we're excited. Spent all the money we had getting into this dream house. And we didn't know when we bought it, but we bought it from like a mad chemist who was doing chemistry experiments in the basement. And he left behind hazardous um, chemical elements and it poisoned our whole family and it, it killed our dog. And uh, it almost killed my son. You see my little son running around? Like people wonder like why Dietrich gets away with everything. It's because he was about one day away from death when we figured out what was going on with him. And so we, we're, we're all still a little bit recovering from this. Like, we got our son back, and we're just like, hey, you know, you want two ice creams? Have two ice creams, kid. Like, do whatever you want. Just live. Um, I'll tell you, I mean, in, in one day, we went from happy as can be chasing our dreams to homeless because all of our possessions were in our home, and the entire home was toxified with this chemical so we lost all of our belongings, all of our possessions, and we, we thought at that point we weren't even sure if we were going to escape with our lives. It was so bad. We didn't know. We had no idea. It's just getting sicker and sicker. We can't figure out what's going on, and then we end up realizing it's the house and poison. And But something happened. Talk about this idea of like taking your ashes and giving them to Jesus, and he does something beautiful. 
this catastrophe, I mean, it was huge. I mean, I, I can't tell you, um, all said and done, just the property damages were like $150,000. None of that was covered by insurance. The medical was like four times that to get us all detoxified. That was, thank God, covered by insurance. But like, this is just mind-blowing. Like, this is a huge event. This is what happened. This crisis broke loose, and it gave, it gave people the opportunity to do something remarkable. And here's what I want to tell you. You have in your heart the ability to do things that are painfully destructive to one another. And you have in your heart at the same time the ability to demonstrate love and beauty on such a scale that it leaves people in awe. And we had a community of people in the name of Jesus rally around us and carry us through this crisis. And I cannot tell you, if I tried to list the miracle stories for you, some of these people at the ranch have heard this, they've known me for years, it is like a cascade of miracle stories. It's like one after another, after another, after another. It just kept happening. It kept happening so much that by like the, by like the end of the first month, like we ran out of money to start paying these bills after about one day, okay? It was like one day of this crisis and I cut the check for every dollar I had here. And I, I gave it to the guy who was gonna help us like remediate the chemical spill. And he's like, I need a, a $25,000 deposit. And I was like, there. And he was like, I'll need 25 more on Friday. And I was like, you'll have it. And he was like, you're lying. And I said, yes, I'm lying. I said, will you go to work anyway? He said, yeah, I'll do it. I'm like, thank you. I walked into a bank and I said, hey, I don't have anything for collateral. I need $75,000. And they were like, no. And I was like, please? She was like, okay. And I was like, wow, okay, humongous. Some friends of ours did a GoFundMe. And it just, it got to the point where a bill would come. Just in case you're wondering, everything was like $3,000. It was like our magic number. Every single day, we get a new $3,000 bill. And it's like, we don't have any money. At this point, it's all Monopoly money because it doesn't even matter. Like when you owe that much, it's meaningless almost, right? And um, I have no idea how I'm going to pay this one off. And I say, okay, God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but like, let's just do this thing. I trust you, Lord Jesus. You're in this with me. Let's go. I don't know how this is going to happen. And um, I, I finished praying the prayer and I open my office door and go get a cup of coffee and somebody walks in the front door of the office and hands me an envelope. And I said, what's in the envelope? And he said, $3,000. And I said, where did this come from? And he goes, I know. And Jesus knows and that's all you need to know. And I said, okay, well, you go tell Jesus and you go tell whoever else knows that is the exact number I need for today. This happens so often. It, I mean, it happens so often that like people at the ranch are telling the story, they just are laughing because it's like, it's absurd. It happens so often, I just couldn't believe it. It's like so undeniable how God showed up in the midst of the worst situation we could ever imagine. And I mean, during this whole thing, our kids are in the hospital and the crazy stuff's happening and the, the chemical agent that 
was spilled in our house as a neurotoxin, and so it made us all crazy on top of it all. So that was real fun. They're asking me, like, the, the, they're evaluating me for how, like, toxic I am. And they're like, well, have you had any, like, irrational bursts of anger lately? And I'm like, um, like every day, like all the time. And they're, like, trying to figure out if that's the chemical. Like, is that the poison or is that? I'm like, I don't know if that's the poison or the fact that some mad scientist just poisoned my children and almost killed them, and I'd rather kill him instead. I didn't, just so you know, revenge is the Lord's. I told you, Jesus-shaped nonviolence. Anyway, what I'm getting at here is what was a calamity of epic proportion ended up being an opportunity for the people of God to put on display the glory of God in such a remarkable way. And as you grow in your faith, you'll see splendor and glory everywhere. You'll see it behind every sunrise. You'll see it in the expanse of the night sky. You'll see it in the unbridled joy of a child's laughter. You'll see it in the selfless, uncontainable, uncontrollable love exchanged in a glance between two lovers. You will see the glory of God everywhere all around you. But there is something remarkable about you. All creation is good. All creation puts on display the glory of our creator. But you, uniquely and artistically, were designed to display the splendor of your creator. You. God does his best work in you and through you. It's what he's always done. And I'm telling you, you were created in his image for his glory, for his purpose and for his pleasure. And when you come alive to that reality, you can do something so beautiful, so heroic, so extravagantly wonderful that the rest of the world will look at it in awe and wonder and they will be pointed back to the glory of Jesus and his fame will increase because they'll see you bring your brokenness to him. And it finds redemption. It finds restoration. It's this reclamation work that he does inside of us. It's so awesome. John's been our guy. We started in chapter 1. And so we're all the way to chapter 5. And I want to read you this story. I think this is a beautiful story of the way that, that, that Jesus unleashes redemption in us and through us. And so we're going to work through this. John chapter 5, verse 1. Sometime later... Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals, and it's a pattern in John's gospel. Jesus is always showing up for the parties. He just, he loves them. Now, there was in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool. Now, time out just for a second. The Sheep Gate is where they bring in the animals to the temple for sacrifice, and if, has anyone experienced something, it's a unique phenomenon here around the ranch and around other places where livestock dwell. Have, has anyone ever, um, what's the polite way to say this? Did you step in poo this week? Anybody step in poo this week? Was it animal poo? Please tell me not human poo. Did anyone step in human poo? I want to give you a bravery award right now. I'm not even authorized. I'm just going to give one out. Anyway, okay, no, but really... When you hear this, he comes in the sheep gate. What I want you to hear is it's not a pleasant place. 
Jesus is going where the riffraff go. He's going, he's going through the part of town nobody wants to go to. And he's traveling these roads because he's looking, he's seeking, he's searching for the most desperate among us. I think God does his finest work when humanity is at its messiest. I think that Jesus, there's something about him that delights most in finding you when you are at a very, very bad place. I'm telling you, I was living for Jesus and serving Jesus and like I was preaching and doing ministry and doing all these cool things, but I saw God on display. I saw God flex his muscles of power, might, glory, and an intervention when we came to a crisis point in our family where I said, I have nothing. My whole family's chronically ill. My little boy is a day away from death. I am so broke. My house is now worth negative $75,000 and I'm homeless. I don't have any belongings, any, any I, got, I got nothing. If, if the fire marshal told you your house was condemned, just, just this is pop quiz. If he said, your house is condemned, all your possessions are lost, I'll give you 30 seconds to run into that house and grab a couple belongings. We'll scan them for toxicity when you pull them out of the house, and we'll let you have them if they're clean. What would you grab? Just think about that. Don't answer me out loud. Just think about it. What would you grab? This is what I grabbed. Two pairs of underwear, gym shorts, and a rifle. It was hunting season coming up, and I thought, I'm going hunting. That was so foolish. I mean, I left behind like photo albums, like all the expensive, important stuff, like anything that was actually worth anything, I left behind. But man, I had those two pairs of underwear and some gym shorts. Later, my wife was like, what did you grab? And I was like, I don't want to tell you. Don't, don't worry about it. That's irrelevant. Anyway, Jesus is looking for an opportunity here to find somebody at their worst to do something that he does best. And so here he goes, in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, there was a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. You can get this in your head, right? There's a pool, and there's these little arches. It's great. You can get out of the sun. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed, which is another indicator. This is not where people who are righteous go. In Jesus' day, the religious elite had all these ceremonial laws about what made someone clean and unclean, desirable and undesirable. And to, to maintain their ritual purity, they would avoid such a place because contact with the riffraff would render them unclean. Jesus has this crazy idea that the righteousness, health, and holiness, the light inside of him is more contagious than the uncleanness inside of anyone else. Did you hear me when I said that? That, that, that his health is what's going to get caught, not their dysfunction. That, that his power is the thing to be reckoned with, not the, whatever darkness or brokenness is out there in them. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. That's how old I am. 38. In 38 years, I have lived a beautiful, wonderful life. I've romanced the woman of my dreams. I've welcomed three average-ish children into this world. <laughs> Except for Paige. She's above average. Love you, girl. She's also the only one here, so I'm safe. She won't tell the other two. I'm just kidding. 38 years, he's been 
paralyzed. For 38 years, he's been an invalid. For 38 years, his story has been one of brokenness. When Jesus saw him lying there and he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, Jesus asked him what I think is a little bit of a silly question. I'm just going to be honest with you. He said, do you want to get well? Well, yeah, Jesus, I do. I mean, I've, I've been laying on this mat for 38 years. I'd rather not do that for another day. Seems kind of obvious. Seems kind of intensive. What's Jesus doing? I'm going to ask you that question right now. Seems, seems, seems silly, but, but maybe you need to be asked that. Do you want to get well? What is it that you want? This is our last night here. You guys have another day ahead of you tomorrow. Then, then here's what comes for you when you go home. Home. Normal comes for you. The patterns that you had before you got here will be waiting for you and inviting you to pick them back up. That addiction you have to social media, whatever it is that you do on, on the screens you don't have right now, it's waiting for you there when you get home. Whatever things you do to medicate the dysfunction in your story, whatever substitutes you put in the place, whatever, whatever things you've used to numb the ache of your heart will be waiting for you when you get home. Whatever problems you escape from to come here at this heavenly place to be in God's country with God's good people, all that will be waiting for you. The strained relationship you have with your parents, it's waiting for you. The issues you have with your tribe, with your friend group, with your boyfriend, with your girlfriend, those, those, those relationships, you know they're toxic, but you can't find the courage to sever them. You know they're dysfunctional, but you can't really rise out of that muck yet. That's all waiting for you. What is it that you want? What do you want? Do you want to get well? Maybe you're stuck. Maybe you're like this guy. You've been paralyzed for years. You don't remember when it started for you. Maybe anxiety has you in its grasp and you can't quite shake it. Maybe you're stuck and do you want to get well? What is it that you want? Now, here's what I want you to do. Don't fall into the trap that we so often fall into. When I ask you what you want, there are two potential answers. There is a momentary appetite and then there is this ultimate desire. And what we do so often is we eclipse the ultimate desire by satisfying a momentary appetite. And it takes us away from what we really want. And we end up going after what we want right now. This is how Esau traded his birthright for a bowl of stew. It's how so many people have traded their reputation, their integrity, their legacy for some satisfaction of a momentary and fleeting temptation, for some craving of the soul they knew was wrong, but they couldn't find the perspective to say no and say yes to this. What do you want? This is what I think you really want. And this, this is what I think. I think you want to be loved. I think you want connection, real, authentic connection with other people, deep, satisfying relationships. I think you want a deep, satisfying relationship with God. I think you want significance. 
I think you want a purpose. I think you want to live a story worth telling. I think these are things that you want. I think you really do want that. If you stop and think about it for a second, this is actually what you're looking for. And how are you going to get it? What are you going to do that's a little weird? What are you going to do that's a little abnormal to get that thing that's not quite normal, that's not quite average, that's exceptional, that's reserved for those who chase it? and hunger for it, and thirst for it, and bring themselves before the throne of grace to let, let the transforming love of Jesus pour into their heart. I think you want life, real, satisfying, overflowing life. I think you want to make a real difference in this world. But you're not going to get it if you follow this guy's path. Listen to what he does. Jesus asked him this question, what do you want? Do you want to get well? Listen to his answer. Listen to this. This is terrible. He never answers the question. He does something entirely different. He starts throwing blame and making excuses. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. There's this crazy belief that these people had that an angel would come down and stir the waters and if they got into the pool first, they'd be healed. He's placed all his hope in this superstition of this pool and the one who can give him everything he needs is standing in front of him and asking him the question, what do you want? Do you want to be well? And he's blaming everybody else. I'm alone. I'm in this. Everybody gets there ahead of me. Everybody else has the opportunities. I always get left behind. I'm always, I'm always last. Everybody else gets the, the opportunities that I don't get, and they are better looking than me, and they, they, they're smarter than me, and they got first on the team, and I didn't get the thing on the team, and then I just they're dating the girl that I want to date, and everybody else, and my mom loves my brother better than me because he's probably a better person, but whatever, it's not fair. We blame, we make excuses. What a destructive pattern, but we do this so often. He's so paralyzed. So many people are constantly listing the reasons why other people have ruined their story. They list all the if-onlys, all the excuses. This guy's complaining. He's focused on the pool, on some thing, some alternative, some, some inadequate solution. What's your pool? When you finally get past the excuses, what is the stupid thing you're putting your faith in? It lets you down every single time. How many years did he sit here waiting for the pool to fix him? How long are you going to go back to that? How long are you going to let your addictions false? It doesn't work. You've been, you've been asking of them something that they cannot provide, and you've done it over and over again. You put your faith in this relationship or that thing or these false promises and they're all empty every time but we go back over and over again. Jesus is standing in front of him inviting him to be whole but he's focused on the empty promise right there. We're so much like this guy. We do this. We wait for something to drop out of the sky and change our story. We wait for something to just happen and, and, and here's the thing. He's there all the time. I don't believe that God is hiding from you. I believe that all the barriers between you and him have been removed. 
I believe that he's seeking you, reaching for you. You guys ever seen the painting on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel? I haven't. I'm not that rich. But I saw a picture of it one time on the internet. I think one of the Ninja Turtles painted it. I can't remember which one. Michelangelo, I think. He's the guy with the orange nunchucks. Anyway, when the Ninja Turtle painted the ceiling, he painted this huge grand thing about creation and all this crazy stuff. And there's this one spot, and your Aunt Mildred probably has just this one spot framed above her sofa in her living room. You guys have an Aunt Mildred with this painting framed? Who does? Somebody does. Somebody's got... You do. I knew you do. Somebody... There's always an Aunt Mildred with this framed painting, okay? And it's, it's God, and he's reaching. And then there's Adam. If you're, the, if you're the kind of person that gets hung up on, like, the creation of species and all that stuff, Adam just means people. That's, that's literally what the word Adam means. It means man. Like, I, don't, don't, if the talking snake and the magic tree and the magic fruit hang you up, don't. Okay, he is, he is a prototypical example of humanity. He is the story that's been told universally over and over again in every single way. He's us. And this is Adam, right? Adam's kind of got this like, meh. Like if, if you could have a hand posture that embodied meh, right? You know what I'm talking about? You've seen this painting before, right? He's literally like, Ugh. And God is like flexing and reaching. And you can see God's ripped in this painting, which I just think is interesting. Um, he's also an old man. He's, I, don't, I don't think God is a bearded white man, but whatever. In, in the Nigerals' idea, he is. So he's reaching and flexing and straining. And there remains between the two a gap of like a quarter inch. And all Adam has to do is like straighten up. All he has to do is like wake up and he closes the gap that i believe is spirituality i believe faith is that simple i don't believe it's super complicated to connect with jesus i don't think it's so hard i think that god is straining and reaching and striving and grasping and trying everything he can to reach you and be near you i think he wants to be known by you he wants to know you authentically in this beautiful life-giving way i think that jesus is the kind of god who walks through the sheep gate through the mud through the mess to find the one who needs him most and he stands in front of him and says do you want to give well and the guy goes well but i have all these excuses and i can't i don't have these things and jesus invites him to live into a story of splendor here he doesn't even pray for this guy he just says this and he tells this guy to do the one thing that's impossible for him to do without his help he says get up pick up your mat and walk. Now it gets real. Here's the crazy thing. He does it. He does it. You don't need a lot of faith to figure this out. You just need to, you just need to, you just need to close the inch. You don't need a ton of faith to just figure I'm telling you, he's done all the solving, all the things that keep you from him. There is an answer to every single one of those on the cross. It's, it's done. It's done. The veil is torn. The barriers are removed. The bridge, that chasm has been bridged. All that junk is answered. There's nothing between you and him but love and grace 
And he stands in front of you with this beautiful invitation to do the thing you can't do on your own, but you can do with his help. Get up and walk. Walk into new life. Walk into the impossible. Walk into mercy. All that stuff. This person with all these negative patterns of blame and self-loathing and defeat, these are so hard to shake off. Jesus later on finds him and, and he seeks him out because Jesus knows that th this is what happens when you experience life change in Christ is that old you creeps back up on you. Some of you have encountered God in a really cool way this week and when you go home, waiting for you is going to be that blame, self-loathing, bad self-image, self-harm, depression, all that stuff, all the anxiety, all the garbage, all, the, all that stuff that's kept you crippled on your mat. It's just waiting for you. And this happens to this guy too. He's just experienced the glorious splendor of a miraculous encounter with Jesus, the living God. And they find him. Listen to this. This is in verse 8. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath and the law forbids you to carry your mat. The absurdity of that, I'm the kind of person that would hit them with it. I'd just be like, listen, for 38 years I was a cripple and this man showed up and he changed my whole life in a moment, in the invitation in his eyes, the love, the acceptance, the mercy, the transformation, like <laughs> the mat is not a problem anymore. Take the mat. Here's the mat. You take it. Get out of here. But this is what he does. He slips back into his old ways. He's right back into blame. Oh, this guy, it's tough. He goes, well, but the other guy, the man who made me well, he said to me, pick up your mat and walk. And they said, who was this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd and it wasn't there. And Jesus didn't even tell him who he was. He just did, he's, he just like ninja'd him. Like Batman smoke bomb and he's out. Later, Jesus finds him because I think Jesus knows He's going to slip back into his old ways and he's got to break him out of it. Listen, never, never, never lose sight of how glorious it is to get a second chance. Jesus finds him and listen to what Jesus says. See, you're well again. It doesn't seem like much. That, when he says see, it's more like behold recognize, open your eyes, change your perspective, let your paradigm shift. You don't need to behave anymore like an orphan because now you're a child of God. You need to stop acting like a paralytic because you're free, because you can walk. You are well. You are whole. Stop pretending you're not enough. Stop acting as if you don't have it because you have it. You are loved. You are prized. You are cherished. You are a work of art in the hands of the master artist who's going to unleash you to be an artist at work in this world, weaving a story of beauty and redemption and hope and love life and overflowing goodness will pour out of you like a fountain. I'm telling you, 
you got to stop acting like somebody who's an orphan because you're now a son or daughter of the king of heaven. See, you're well again. You've got to be reminded once in a while. you got to look at, sometimes this is what will happen. My, my mom, when I used to leave the house, intent on all kinds of mischief, my mom would tell me, son, remember who you are. And I will just be real honest with you. I'd be in all kinds of trouble. I mean, I, would, I had all kinds of designs to do all kinds of things I shouldn't be doing. I had all kinds of momentary appetites that were threatening to get in, in the interference of my ultimate desires. You know what I'm talking about? Momentary things that are like, do this, you need this, you need this. And they go contrary to who I want to be and what I want from my life. But those appetites are powerful, man, and they're strong. And I'd hear my mom's voice in my head. I mean, I'd be like, in the back seat, the music's on. I'm smelling good. She's smelling good. It's, it's right. And my mom in my, in my ear would be like, Justin, remember who you are? And I'd be like, get out of my head, mom. Like this, I don't want you in this situation right now. Okay? But here she is. Remember who you are. And, and okay, snaps me back to reality. Now all of a sudden, the momentary appetite's power begins to decrease. And that ultimate desire begins to increase. Because see, I am well. I am loved. I am cherished. I am prized. The grace and mercy of Jesus come to me. Even though I was a sinner, I didn't deserve his grace. I didn't deserve his love. I didn't deserve his While I was broken, he came to save. While I was a mess, he entered the mess of my story to, to invite me near. He found me, though I didn't deserve it. And so I'm called, I'm invited to live into the story of unfolding grace and reject the labels of shame. You have a second chance. Make the most of it. Live into the story of splendor that I've opened up for you. Listen to what Jesus says. You're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. I don't think that Jesus means here, if this guy continues to sin, he'll become a paralytic again. He says, he, Jesus teaches that two chapters later. That's not what he means. What he means here is, make the most of the chance you've been given. Make the most of the chance you've been given. Guys, let me just level with you. It's Thursday. Monday's coming. Now, I know it's still summer break. But there is, a, there is, a, there is a, a gravity to ordinary. There is something magnetic about dysfunction. There is something sticky about the junk that you want to leave behind. Some of you committed some stuff to the cross of Christ. Some of you put some stuff here. Some of you dealt with some things this week in your heart, and they're coming for you. They're coming after you. And I just want to remind you that the one who sees not who you have been, not who you are right now, but who you could be with his help. The one who sees not someone stuck on a mat, but who can walk and run and live into a story of unfolding grace. That second chance is yours. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Let's pray. God, would you, in us and through us, put on display the splendor of your glory? 
Would you, God, use our lives to show this world what you're all about? Thank you for meeting us in the mess. Thank you for being the God that brings beauty from ashes. Thank you for being the God that delights in our transformation. Thank you for being the Savior who is better than we can ever be sinners. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are to us. Be glorified in our story. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.